Insights Podcast on the Acadia Broadcasting Network. I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. David, today we talk uh, with uh, Patrick Cabe, uh, the uh, president and CEO of a new company called the Mass Timber Company about mass timber. This is a, this is a topic that I think few people will know much about. We certainly didn't know much about it before the podcast, and now we are experts in this topic. So um, <laughs> one of the things that I found interesting um, is the opportunity that exists for uh, mass timber to play a role in, in reducing the cost of construction. And um, I think, you know, people have many questions about how timber compares to uh, concrete and steel in terms of, uh, you know, construction materials. We answer some of those questions, but uh, this is a very interesting story. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. In Scandinavia, they've been building multi-story buildings using wood for years. And in, uh, in the U.S., uh, he was telling us there's an 18-story uh, project uh, that was completed. Uh, and in Canada, for some reason, even though we're kind of the home uh, for the forest products industry, it's one of the top industries in the entire country, uh, we're less interested in, in innovation around wood. Uh, and so I think that is starting to change now, and it's really good to, to, to hear about this project and to hear about the role that Mass Timber could play uh, in, in the construction sector moving forward. And particularly, I was interested in his discussion of how we could accelerate housing development uh, using the Mass Timber product as opposed to traditional construction materials. And, and Patrick, who is currently uh, employed as the director of Mass Timber for uh, Bird Construction, which is a very significant player in Canada and, uh, and, and will have the role as president and CEO of the Mass Timber Company, really outlined the fact that this is not new in Canada. There are at least eight other major plants across the country doing this, uh, this production. So uh, it's new to this region, but not necessarily new to the market. Yes, but the multi-story, the high, the high buildings, that's quite novel in Canada. There's a few examples. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is about accelerating a new technology, finding a way to diversify uh, the use of our wood. And we talked in an earlier podcast with Forest NB about the reliance on the U.S. market. So if we have more local demand for our lumber... Um, that should help in terms of diversifying somewhat away from being totally reliant on the U.S. Although uh, Patrick does tell us that the goal ultimately will be exporting about 50% of the product produced in the Nova Scotia plant to U.S. markets. So I think that's an interesting, another export industry, Don. You and I have been talking a lot about exports, um, but this would be another export industry for, uh, for Nova Scotia. Yeah, there's no question that there's an opportunity there. And just to clarify, he made it clear uh, after our conversation that Bird Construction was not an investor in this business. They were a supporter of the business, and they would probably be involved in building the plant and supporting the uh, this project uh, in that manner. This is a big project, by the way. Uh, nearly $180 million expected to, uh, to build the plant, um, expected to come on stream sometime in uh, 2026 if everything works out. They're lining up the financing right now, and it will create uh, quite a few permanent jobs, 130 full-time jobs. And of course, if this works, they'll want to expand it to other markets. So big opportunity uh, for uh, this uh, new, new company, uh, but also a, a good opportunity for the construction industry to start to do things perhaps differently. 
Absolutely. Uh, he was doing quick math in his head, and he said that the production at year five, the facility will have the capacity to build the equivalent of 3,000 residential units. That's a big, that's a big facility, 232,000 square feet, a major, major manufacturing facility in, uh, in Nova Scotia with the potential to, to really transform in some ways the construction sector in the, in the region. Now, I just want to tie uh, this conversation to the one we had with Duncan Williams, the uh, CEO of uh, the, uh, the Construction Association of Nova Scotia, who predicted that we're going to need in Nova Scotia between twelve and 15,000 residential units by the end of this decade, which coincides very nicely when this plant will be uh, at full production and uh, might might actually be able to provide uh, a quarter of that demand. So uh, we're, we're going to need to ramp up our, our, our capacity. This could be uh, one solution. And of course, if it works here. It could work in other parts of, of the region as well. So very interesting conversation. I, I think our listeners will learn a lot about uh, uh, sort of what I would call a value-added uh, uh, use of wood products, uh, which will be good, by the way, for sawmills. Uh, they will they will do better as a, as the source of that uh, lumber. And uh, so here's that, our conversation with Patrick Cabe. We are pleased to be joined on this episode of the Insights Podcast by Patrick Crab, uh, uh, the president and CEO of the Mass Timber uh, Company. Patrick, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Don, and thank you, David. Before finding out more about Mass Timber, Patrick, we want to find a little bit about your background and your career path and how you ended up in your current role with the Mass Timber Company. And as part of that, we'd like you to help us understand the relationship between uh, Mass Timber and bird construction. Yes, that, that can be a bit of a complicated answer, the, the latter part of that question. But my journey started... Uh, getting my diapers changed in a sawdust pile uh, for our third generation forestry family business. So I, I, I certainly grew up piling and strapping lumber and learning the ins and outs of a sawmill and the importance of capturing value as a piece of wood works through kind of the different stages of silviculture all the way to, to primary production and sawmilling. So uh, from there, my, my father started a business from, from the ground up, uh, kind of stemming out of our, his family sawmill experience. And this was primarily a value-added forestry business. It was a 250,000 square foot manufacturing facility based in St. Stephen, New Brunswick, that was fed by components from you know, all over New Brunswick and Maine. And it was always my father's ethos to add as much value to our precious forest re resources as possible. So, uh, you know, growing up in the sawmill side and then moving into this value-added manufacturing, uh, it, it truly was a great education. And I went to school at the University of British Columbia, took their forestry engineering program called Wood Products and Processing with aspirations of taking over the family business. And while at school, there was the economic downturn in 2008, where the housing market collapsed in the US, and uh, the US dollar kind of lost its purchasing parity, and we were predominantly an export business that was not diversified into Canada, 
So you could say over the past two years since the, the housing market collapse, it became very difficult to do business as a forestry operation. Big banks were cutting their operating lines for a lot of manufacturing businesses and, you know, export businesses, given that landscape dependent on the U.S., it was tough. So we ended up closing our doors. Uh, 400 jobs were lost, you know, generations of family knowledge. It was absolutely devastating. And from there, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. I was recruited to uh, revive the Atlantic Woodworks program which is an industry-led initiative by the Canadian Wood Council that's also supported by various uh, government uh, partners, and it's to increase the use of wood in domestic markets. So it satisfies the exact issue that led to our family business was too much market dependence on the U.S. market. So I had a lot of passion in that role because it was working to fix something that was so close to me and uh, really, really enjoyed my experience there. That's where, you know, mass timber was certainly being introduced to the Canadian markets and uh, codes were changing in, in our federal government. So really from that experience, I got to see kind of the genesis of mass timber kind of happen through this country. And then in 2018, I was asked to join Bird Construction as their uh, Atlantic business development manager. And I continued to apply my, my passion for mass timber and wood products through that role. And uh, it eventually escalated to me uh, becoming the director of mass timber, where I'm supporting all of the uh, industrial and commercial districts, 18 offices from coast to coast, where our mass timber pipeline of active projects is around $800 million. And uh, we have about $3 billion worth of projects in the pipeline. So this is a bit of a long answer, but just through that national exposure at this general contracting level, I always knew there was interest for mass timber, but not necessarily at this scale with this lens of reality. So that's really what uh, kind of motivated myself and, and my team to, uh, to try and establish mass timber manufacturing here in Atlantic Canada. So let's talk about mass timber. So you're looking to develop a manufacturing facility in Nova Scotia, but can you begin by telling our listeners exactly what mass timber is and how it's manufactured. So there are many different types of mass timber products and for simplicity's sake, and for the ones that are kind of market dominant, I'm just going to focus on two, which is considered cross laminated timber, which is the panel and then glue laminated timber, which are the beams and the columns. So these products are, made from dimension lumber that is produced every day in in our sawmills in some cases it use higher grade or higher strength materials specifically in glue lamb not so much in cross laminated timber and these uh depending on which one you're making you're orienting orientating these these uh pieces of lumber in a certain way you're cutting out the defects and you're finger jointing them together to create longer pieces depending on you know, the, the scale of the product that's being ordered, you're arranging them in a certain way, you're applying adhesive, and then you're pressing them uh, to, to kind of create a, a massive component. So uh, cross laminated timber is, is the panel product. It will be anywhere from three layers of softwood lumber to nine layers thick. And it's used in kind of your floor walls and ceiling components where glue laminated timber, which are your columns and beams, 
uh, generally using a, a higher content of, uh, of stronger lumber, but those are for your primary structural system. Tell us what are the best applications for the use of mass uh, construction in general? It's very much interchangeable between steel and concrete or, or conventional building types, but it's well suited for a range of applications, your residential or mixed use buildings, your ICI market, industrial, commercial, and institutional, even civil projects like bridges. There are a couple great examples here in the province of Nova Scotia of wood bridges uh, coming in at much less cost with about a 70% you know, reduction in carbon and a much longer service life compared to that of, uh, of conventional bridges here in the province. So, but, but really it's important that the owner or, or, or the client uh, really do a choosing by advantages process when determining which material to build. And, and, and really with mass timber, you need to prioritize the structural integrity and aesthetic qualities that really kind of create a, a strong biophilic environment. Yeah, so what are the main advantages associated with the use of mass timber relative to more traditional construction building materials like steel and concrete? Well, not in any specific order, but the first one is certainly the, the lower carbon footprint. So a mass timber solution is about a 40% reduction in embodied carbon compared to that of concrete. Uh, embodied carbon is defined as what carbon is used to, uh, to uh, go from the cradle to the gate. So from the start of the forestry practice to harvesting, transporting, all the way to that manufacturing facility before it gets to the gate of going to the end use. Uh, so it has much of a lar larger carbon impact there. Uh, it can be a, a faster construction solution because mass timber is a prefabricated uh, way of building. It has a very high strength to weight performance. It's about one eighth the weight of concrete, so it can span further. Uh, it has a, a predictable char effect in the event of a fire, so it has surprising life safety and fire performance characteristics where some people would think the opposite. Uh, it has improved thermal and acoustic performances. Again, some people would think the opposite relative to acoustics. And uh, when exposed, it does create uh, like a, a natural environment that, that allows people to um, actually heal. It's what I had mentioned in the previous question it's a biophilic response that humans have to natural wood products uh, or visible wood grain uh, in, in internal environments that can cause their heart rate to reduce uh, and, and their, their, their stress uh, to drop. So how does the cost of mass timber compare to other traditional construction materials? I wish this were a a cut and dry answer, but the, the, the true answer is it depends. And I've been involved in over 150 mass timber projects throughout my career, you know, spanning from Prince Edward Island to Victoria, BC. So there really are different dynamics that can tilt it in the favor of conventional construction or uh, in that of mass timber. Uh, the major factors that can affect the costs are obviously location, what are some of the trade dynamics in those local markets? 
Is there form work capacity? Uh, is there any trade capacity? Do we need to leverage the prefabricated building solution as much as we possibly can? Can we can we turn you know mass timber into a modular solution and deliver it to areas that really don't have that trade capacity available? Uh, it can also be the scale of the project. How what is the the footprint of this? What is the geometric? Is it is it a funky shape that is uh, you know spanning twelve stories high in the sky? Uh, the design complexity is it a hybrid structure that's utilizing steel in combination with uh, you know concrete and, and mass timber? Uh, those are those are really the I would say the major things that that do affect the cost competitiveness. Um, but but really the main one is just the impact it has on the timeline of the project, and this leads to what's called like a holistic value proposition that I encourage most owners or clients to do is yes, you may pay uh, a bit of a premium on the structure, but if you can occupy that building, let's say, you know, six months sooner, uh, you know, what, what is that value to you to kind of uh, pay back off of that, that, that unit rate increase on the structure? Yeah, and this is becoming an increasing issue. I've been tracking very closely the difference or the spread between housing starts and housing completions. And those numbers are getting wider and wider in recent years. And I think it's just taking longer and longer to get those houses and those units, uh, uh, big buildings and also uh, single family dwellings uh, uh, completed. I wanted to ask you to go a little Absolutely. bit deeper on that. Uh, David, sorry, before you continue, there's one thing I want to add uh, to that last question is, once we start seeing the cost of carbon continue to increase, you know, we've seen the Liberals implement the, the carbon tax. Um, we're seeing some progressive jurisdictions implementing embodied carbon caps on, you know, how much embodied carbon can a certain jurisdiction absorb uh, through their material specification of infrastructure solutions. So as these things are incorporated in our code and are impacting our wallet, we're, we're certainly going to see mass timber become a much more cost competitive. And of course, concrete is one of the most difficult uh, materials to decarbonize, um, although there is a firm in Halifax that's trying to obviously uh, do something about that. So yeah, we wanted to that, go, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and, and that's an incredible. Um, one thing I think that's often misinterpreted uh, for champions like myself in the mass timber space is that, you know, we we, we want to see mass timber succeed and, and the other materials not, and, and that's not the case. Every, the, the, the future of construction is hybrid solutions. So how we can work together to ensure that the material benefits are being used where they can to overall, you know, achieve the same goal of a lower carbon footprint. That's the main thing. So it is, it's incredible to see Carbon Cure here in Halifax uh, getting the profile investment that they are. So let's talk about the potential of mass timber for offsite construction. I was having a, I was out having a pop with some friends, older friends, and they told me when they were young, Sears delivered a full house. It came in a truck, and I don't know, Don Mills, you're you're an old guy. Maybe you remember this too. But apparently, this you, the truck would back up, and all the materials, everything you need, would be in that uh, truck to build a house. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Maybe we're back to the future here. But what's the opportunity for mass timber uh, in terms of offsite construction for getting these things built, components, and then bring the components to the site uh, to to build the the final product? Yeah. So. The, the opportunity, obviously, of, of prefabricated nature. So while you can be doing uh, like a lot of your, your permitting and, and various phases through the life cycle of getting a building moving, you, you can really be 
escalating the design details of the project and working with uh, an early onboarded mass timber manufacturer or engineer install company to, to kind of fast track that, that process. So um, like often what happens is the design period of a prefabricated building is, is much longer because there's more and more details uh, that, that need to be defined, but then the construction period is condensed. You know, it's the exact opposite with the site build solution. So, so as things are taking longer or various feasibilities of, of the project are being understood, you can, you can certainly fast track a lot of those details, um, especially with the amazing VDC virtual design and construction and building information modeling tools that we have today uh, to, to expedite that process with a high degree of accuracy. So uh, that's, that's one thing that it can, can really offer when we're looking at infrastructure solutions that need to be delivered quickly. So you have a faster uh, overall construction timeline. You have uh, increased quality control because you're manufacturing these components uh, in a controlled environment. Uh, you have, this is a really interesting one, is reduced disruption, not only through that condensed construction timeline, but there's less noise with a prefabricated solution being erected on site. One of the best examples is kind of the poster child of mass timber construction at the University of British Columbia called Brock Commons, which is an 18-story student residence. And it had a sister student residence called uh, Orchard, uh, sorry, Orchid Apartments, I believe. And uh, it was, you know, a few blocks away being constructed. And the Brock Commons was completed much sooner, but people weren't really hearing or, uh, you know, visually hearing or, or seeing much, much progress, but things were just happening so quickly. Trucks were showing up and the panels were being erected. So it, it, it truly was, uh, I would say, a tangible benefit as people are like, we, we were much less disturbed uh, through this process. The other one is um, weather. When you have a prefabricated solution, yes, mass timber is susceptible to wet weather, uh, it can change its dimension depending on how that's managed. That's why we have to have, you know, pretty stringent moisture management protocols when we're building with mass timber. Uh, however, compared to concrete, you simply can't pour concrete uh, when it is raining out. So you get a little bit of, uh, of uh, I would say, a tighter schedule that you could achieve there. And then, you know, sustainability. So through better management and optimization of materials and reduced waste, that's another benefit of prefabrication and safety improvements. So less things to happen, uh, less time on site. Uh, so, so yeah, you can, uh, you, you can certainly kind of uh, reduce those long-term and short-term uh, safety challenges that, that go along with the construction site. So your intention is to build the first mass timber manufacturing plant in, uh, Atlantic Canada, but there are, this is an industry that has been in place for some time in Canada. Can you tell us who the major manufacturers are currently? Yes. So there's eight in Canada now, major manufacturers, starting from east to west. You have Art Massif, which is kind of on the border of New Brunswick and Quebec in Saint-Jacques, Quebec. Then you have Nordic, which is based in Shibugamu, Quebec. Then you have Goodfellow in, in Montreal. Um, I will say that Art Massif, going back to the first one, they manufacture glue lamb. Nordic Structures does cross-laminated timber and glue lamb. Goodfellow in Montreal, Quebec, they do glue lamb. 
Element 5, which is the newest one based in St. Thomas, Ontario, uh, they do cross-laminated timber and, and glue lamb. Then you have Western Artrib, which is between Manitoba and Alberta, and uh, they do glue lamb. And then Kalishnikov and Castlegar, BC, they do uh, cross-laminated timber and glue lamb. And then the Mercer Group, which formerly acquired Structure Lamb, based in Penticton, and then one of the, the newer plants in Conway, Arkansas, uh, they do both products. And then Structure Craft, which is based in Abbotsford, BC, they're more of, a, of an engineer design assist company, but they also have the ability to manufacture a panel product called Dow Laminated Timber. Uh, RBC forecasts that the growth in demand for mass timber will exceed the market growth over the next 15 to 25 years. Can you tell our listeners about the current demand for mass timber in Canada and how that demand has been growing over the past decade or so? So there's been a bit of a paradigm shift. And instead of me actively seeking out business opportunities or a lot of my colleagues in this space, the phone is now ringing to us to help with, with opportunities. So the AEC, the Architecture, Engineering, Construction community, they're, they're really keen to understand how to set up a mass timber project for success and how to onboard some of the mass timber manufacturers or engineer install companies uh, kind of in a competitive process uh, to ensure that they're going to be getting the, the optimized design and engineering expertise, um, but, but in a competitive process. That's one of the bottlenecks. The demand is shifting to the Eastern markets and it's, ex it's really expected to rapidly outpace what the manufacturing capacity is uh, in Eastern North America. So right now in the West, there is a, a larger manufacturing capacity. It's about 62% and the market consists of about 22% of the manufacturing capability. So uh, you can see that there's much more manufacturing capacity than there is of, of market demand, where in the East, your manufacturing capacity is almost polar opposite. It's about 38%. And then you're seeing the market capacity of around 78%. So, you know, these numbers don't exactly equal 100% on either side. Uh, but these are these are published examples that I would encourage you to go and look at at the Forestry Economic Advisors report. And some, I guess, some projects to mention that really prove those those metrics. One of them here in Nova Scotia, two of the tallest residential wood towers in Canada were proposed in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, as part of a project competition, a provincial land uh, project competition. And some of the criteria for the successful candidate was rapid delivery of heads and beds. And Mass Timber certainly provided, you know, that, that, uh, that satisfied that deliverable. And Bird went through and did a lot of the preliminary analysis. In fact, I'm going to be presenting on this uh, with the development partner in February with Atlantic Woodworks. And it was about a... Uh, seven to eight dollar premium per square foot to move with a mass timber solution over concrete but per one building it saved one year on schedule which translated to a huge saving so overall the project delivering heads and beds a year earlier saved around 1.5 million 
in the total capital of construction. Yet this was not selected. Uh, and I, I really do think that, you know, that the province selected to take the easy way out. And often this happens is that these different groups don't have the ability to analyze, you know, these innovative solutions, and they often choose the risk adverse, uh, simple one. And there's, abs there's no activity happening on site today. So the decision that they made is certainly not delivering heads and beds faster. Uh, then also in, in Ontario, we have the Downsview development led by Northcrest, funded by the Public Sector Pension Fund. This is a 23 million square foot development that's prioritizing mass timber that's going to be built out over the next 30 years. Then you have the Keyside development in, in Toronto Waterfront. Uh, that was the former uh, Sidewalk Labs uh, Alphabet, which is one of the, the companies of Google that they have proposed, and that's all mass timber. Then when you move into the Northeast USA, it is absolutely exploding. So there's a, there's, there's huge demand here in, in the East and, and the capacity, the manufacturing capacity doesn't exist to support it. So you are looking at building a, a mass timber manufacturing facility in Nova Scotia. Can you tell us a little bit about where you are in your process for that plant? Yes, yeah, so MTC, short for Mass Timber Company, will be the most modern, net zero ready, sawmill integrated, mass timber manufacturing facility that has the ability to produce in an automated fashion, the commodity products that are required in both Canadian and US markets, but as well as in a automated way can produce the large components that can kind of build the taller wood infrastructure of tomorrow. So the 600 millimeter by 600 millimeter uh, mass timber columns. And that's kind of what is the next generation of mass timber manufacturing. Everything had been very rigid before, and now it's about uh, creating the most flexible capabilities as possible. So our, our timeline is that, you know, this isn't something that's just happened overnight. We were formulated in 2019. In 2020, uh, Q1 of 2020, we became a registered entity in the province of Nova Scotia. We initiated in Q2 of 2020 a feasibility study that lasted uh, for 18 months. It was around a quarter million dollars that determined what is the strength of the wood basket from our sawmill partners in Nova Scotia. And the results from this effort were extremely encouraging. Uh, the wood is extremely strong. So therefore, we moved on to our next phase as we kind of matured our business planning and we're currently working through, uh, which was initiated in, in Q4 of 2021, a proprietary code approval for our glue lamb products. So often what happens is most mass timber companies will build a plant and then they will go through that 18 month period of code approval, not being able to sell to market, burning capital. You know, we're trying to expedite things so that the day that we're open, it's only going to be some verification protocol with the equipment we have in place. And then we'll be able to service the market immediately. So, so that's kind of uh, the overall time frame, and then I'll, I'll, I'll touch on some other milestones further in the questions. So how big of a, of a facility do you intend on building and what would be the production capacity of the plant? And I guess also, uh, just a general, we're going to talk a little bit more later about markets, but just in general, you talked earlier about the U.S. Do you plan on actually shipping product into the U.S. or is this primarily a Nova Scotia slash Maritime Canada uh, facility? Yeah, the market dynamics, we they're they're a little uncertain at this point. But but in initially, 
we're probably going to be servicing the regional and domestic market and you know satisfying the needs of some of our direct investors uh, just from a, a supply security standpoint. So it's a little hard to predict. Uh, but once we are more of a mature entity, I would say it'll be a 50-50 split between servicing Canada and the U.S. Uh, but to answer your initial question, the manufacturing facility will be around 232,000 square feet. The, the office component is around 15,000 square feet. And the production capacity, this is actual. And what I would like to say is realistic. <laughs> We're going into this with eyes wide open. It will be roughly 50,000 cubic meters of mass timber in year five. Uh, that, that equates to around 2.5 million square feet of construction. Uh, yeah, so for most people, that's a, that's a big number, but it doesn't mean much. How, how, how would that uh, number of, um, uh, of square feet of, uh, uh, of mass timber translate into housing units? How many housing units uh, could be created with that amount of output on an annual basis? Yeah, so the kind of the the industry average is that two thousand cubic meters of mass timber will build a hundred thousand square feet of uh, construction between Group C and Group D, office or residential, and on average, it's about eight hundred square feet. Looking at some of the CMHC metrics for the average unit size uh, in Canada, split between one and two bedroom. So if you take our 2.5 million square feet of annual capacity in year five and divide that by 800 square feet, you're looking at about 3,125 units per year. Right. Okay. So that's a, that's a pretty good number. That would be helpful for the housing market for sure. <laughs> um, how much do you anticipate it will cost to build your plant and how many jobs will be created during the, both the construction phase and later uh, during the operation of the plant, um, Patrick? Yeah, so the total capital costs, this includes land, our site development, building, all the specialty manufacturing equipment, cranes, our specialty dry kilns and, and boiler to heat our kilns and building and office equipment. This includes contingency. It's around 177.5 million. So it's a, it's a very large capital investment. The jobs created during construction, that's pretty hard to, to qualify. Um, instead, I'll direct that answer into the jobs created by this company directly. Uh, 40 jobs will be kind of the initial baseline that we will need in our pre-revenue state to uh, help with the management of construction of the building, to start servicing some of our early sale projects and, uh, and really ramp up for when we are in our, uh, yeah, I would say commissioning to uh, revenue stage. But when in operation, we can expect that there will be a minimum of 130 full-time employees. So you mentioned earlier, I think you briefly mentioned about partners. Can you tell us a little bit about who your partners are in this initiative? We have two very dedicated, uh, incredible partners that are long-standing family-owned sawmills here in Nova Scotia, and that's Elmsdale Lumber and Ledwidge Lumber. Geographically, they're located close to one another, and they're about five kilometers away from our proposed site. And they have different business models, so they aren't necessarily competitors. Uh, Ledwidge is more of a stud mill. 
uh, higher production capacity, smaller pieces of wood, which is perfect for our CLT uh, manufacturing. And then Elmsdale is more of that specialty, higher quality mill with larger components that really service our, our glue and manufacturing needs. So those are our two private partners that I can talk about now. And then on the public side, the province of Nova Scotia's Forestry Innovation Transition Trust has been an incredible partner and the Nova Scotia Innovation Hub. Our federal partners are ACOA, as well as Natural Resources Canada Investment in Forest Industry Transformation, which is called IFIT for short. So we have uh, lots of public partners. So how will the project be financed? So obviously these other government government entities will provide some funding through their various funding programs, but overall, how do you expect to finance this project? We're really proud to say that we have a signed letter of engagement with the Royal Bank of Canada. You know, any Canadian institution that is going to put their seal of approval on a startup company of this magnitude, uh, that's, that's an incredible feat. Um, so, so they're going to be representing us. Uh, I believe the capital launch is going to be after September 10th and going out and kind of raising the balance of equity. And we're currently working through due diligence with another uh, major regional partner, which I can't disclose right now. And if the news does end up turning out to be positive, I think that that deserves a podcast unto itself. Uh, from a, a government perspective, we have a signed letter of commitment from the Forest Innovation Transition Trust for $10 million. And we have a verbal commitment of $10 million from Natural Resources Canada, kind of under the condition that that would come in when the balance of equity has been raised. And then the Royal Bank of Canada is working with uh, BDC and EDC just on what are some creative finance options for our real estate and specialized equipment. But one of the other interesting notes is actually the, the Finance and Treasury Board of the province of Nova Scotia is one of the best capital investment tax credits of any other province in this country. So we've gone through a, a preliminary approval state that, that took quite some time. And it was just uh, last month that we received our letter of uh, preliminary eligibility for $28,893,261, which is a cashable tax credit credit that will inject in our business after year one. Uh, let's talk about the timeline. Um, uh, when do you propose to, the start of construction and, and completion of the plant? Going to keep this one short, uh, we anticipate spring, summer of 2024 is when we will begin site preparation. A lot of this timeline is dependent on the long lead time of things like our specialty equipment. And since COVID-19, a lot of supply chains have been disrupted. And, you know, with the growth of mass timber across the world, this is really our, our critical path at this point, And that will really determine... I guess the substantial completion timeline, but we are we are hoping that by summer fall of 2026 that we will move into production. And you have a preferred uh, site for the plant. Tell us about uh, that location and why it was selected. Yes, it's it's in the East Hants Business Park. Uh, the municipality of East Hants has been absolutely incredible to work with. 
uh, Graham Scott, their business development advisor, has really been with us every step of the way. Uh, it's it's a bit of a, a challenging site. There are some, I would say, environmental hiccups that that we are trying to work through. Uh, but it has been selected number one because they've been uh, an incredible group to work with. It's zoned properly. It has the right power and, and municipal servicing requirements, and it's very close to our sawmill partners. Let's come back to the markets that you're t uh, uh, targeting. You mentioned earlier that the, when you're at year five, you'll be able to generate the equivalent of around 3,000 residential units. Well, that's the entire housing market in New Brunswick up until recently, about 3,000 per year. So now we're hoping that will double. And of course, you've got Nova Scotia, which is much larger. And of course, you've got the uh, and so on. But we wanted to ask you, is this entirely a residential play or will you also have commercial markets uh, uh, for this product? Yeah, I touched on this a bit earlier, but again, we're not necessarily going to have a choice, I would say, with a lot of our uh, initial markets because these will kind of be dictated through uh, the supply securement strategy of investors as, as to where that that will move. Uh, but I anticipate those would drive commercial and, and residential developments. But the largest markets uh, across Canada is post-secondary. That is the biggest mass timber market that exists. You have quite elaborate buildings that are being constructed here that are targeting progressive sustainability principles. And it's also recruitment strategies as part of these innovative buildings. So that's probably the number one market. The next would be mixed-use residential, uh, both infill, infield, and and greenfield pro infill and greenfield projects. The pet project that I think is most exciting that uh, you know I, I really want to work closely with our government partners is that rapid deployment of affordable housing. We're seeing some great examples of this taking place across the country, and in that realm of modular, uh, like if our provincial and federal governments really embrace this, that can be transferable to our schools and healthcare as well. So uh, schools is an interesting topic. This is, you know, junior and, and, and high school and even like pre-primary is that the population of Nova Scotia is, is growing so rapidly that, you know, a, a lot of these areas, the gentrification of them are changing and the densification of them. So we need to be more flexible with our infrastructure rather than building these jewel boxes that cost, you know, anywhere from 500 to $750 a square foot that are fixed in size, I think we need to take more of a progressive approach uh, at, at, yeah, looking at these rapid deployment solutions that can expand or contract with the changing demographics. And then from there, moving into, you know, long-term care and assisted living. Uh, one of the other larger markets is recreational community and cultural projects. So, uh, Another kind of pet project or where I, I do believe there is a big opportunity is in bridges as well. But that takes a little bit more time to kind of enter that market. So it'll be very interested to see uh, on the rapid deployment where you end up with that. Because Don and I have already talked on this podcast about modular housing. And we're told that many of the manufacturers already have 18, to two, 18 months to two year backlogs. So the idea that they could come in and double their output is just not there. And it's it's kind of frustrating because we have some capacity for modular housing. So if I think you've made a strong case for this sort of speeding up the process of construction, 
but we'll see, right? If you can actually deliver on that and actually, because there's other bottlenecks around employment and construction workforce and all the other issues that, that come with developing housing. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that will be one of your strongest, you know, value propositions if you can get this stuff done faster. Yes, absolutely. And again, it takes the commitment of some of these public partners to really move this through, through, you know, creative RFP processes and, uh, you know, yeah, championing this, this level of diversification that's necessary as our trade pools are shrinking. So prefabricated solutions are the future. So are you involved in any construction of mass timber projects in Nova Scotia right now? Most notably, we are building the East Coast Lifestyle Project in, in Bears Lake and the Under One Sky Friendship Center uh, in Fredericton, New Brunswick. So I, I think maybe let's expand this question to New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. Uh, and, and that's in partnership with, uh, with Fathom Architecture and Planning. They're, they're an incredible group. Uh, and there are others that I'm that that I'm involved in, and that bird has been awarded uh, here between New Brunswick and Nova Scotia that I can't really mention at this time. So uh, one of the other great projects that we did complete was the East Hans Aquatic Center, and that was in 2020. It's got a, a beautiful nailed laminated timber roof. Uh, that really was something that kind of created this partnership between Elmsdale uh, and and myself in the municipality of East Hans. So. I would encourage you to go and see that building, but there are other, there are quite a few other projects that are under construction that I haven't really been involved in, and that's the Fowler, Bald, and Mitchell, uh, an architecture firm here in Halifax. Their new office building, the new HRM Aquatic Center, and then the Picto Landing Library uh, called the Decost Center. And really, next spring, I, I'm confident there's going to be many more projects that that can be announced. Also, the federal government has implemented a program called GC Wood or Green Construction Through Wood, uh, which is open now. And there's going to be three to four different windows of application where you can receive up to $400,000 in design support and a million in kind of procurement and construction offset. So $1.4 million in funding for your mass timber project. It's a competitive process, uh, but I would encourage you to, to check out their website. Uh, just want to uh, ask you a question about uh, the size limitations associated with using uh, mass timber. I, I guess people would intuitively think that steel and concrete uh, gives you, you know, some advantages on height. Uh, tell us the truth. What, <laughs> what, are, what are the limitations? Don, there are no limitations. The sky's the limit. <laughs> really? Uh, no. Well, <laughs> maybe. Uh, but as it stands now through through regulation is in Canada, there is a 12 story limit through the 2020 National Building Code. So this means you have a 42 meter restriction from ground level to the floor of the uppermost uh, story. And you're permitted to build 6000 meters cubed per uh, story floor plate. And that's in Group C, which is residential. And then you're permitted uh, 7,200 meters squared per floor in, in group D, which is, which is office. So this is a substantial increase from what it was previously in the 2015 building code. Now, again, those are all encapsulated solutions. So you would have to cover the mass timber in drywall. Uh, that is something I think is absolutely ridiculous. If you're building with mass timber, why would you ever encapsulate it? 
And there are many examples of exposed buildings much larger than what our building codes uh, will permit prescriptively uh, in North America that have been built that are fully exposed. But the codes have to move in a, a progressive, uh, conservative manner. Now, in the U.S., you're permitted to build 18 stories. And there was just uh, the, the tallest residential building in the world completed. And this was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And it's called the, um, the Ascent. And it's 25 stories tall. There's a great PBS news feature on it. Uh, and it's fully exposed. So, so that's, uh, that's, that's a great case to look to when exploring these different types of solutions. So it's anticipated the National Building Code will move to a performance-based solution. And hopefully that will remove any of the jargon around a combustible solution versus non-combustible. Because in my opinion, it doesn't matter what the materials are built of, as long as they're designed to achieve a certain fire rating. Uh, so, so that's kind of where we, we need to move. And from what I understand, the National Research Council is moving. One thing that well, does just... need to change, though, is our design requirements in various provinces, specifically here in Nova Scotia, around educational buildings. These design requirements haven't been touched since, you know, the 80s. And mass timber didn't even necessarily exist then. So it's treating, you know, uh, a wood construction diction in that design requirement as a wood frame solution. So it's not factoring in the performance and life safety increase of, of mass timber, which can really inhibit early design of these structures to use mass timber. So it's an exercise the province needs to, to jump on pretty quick. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh Tell us about the opportunities for your sawmill partners with this new manufacturing plant. Will that will that uh, help them uh, with their businesses in terms of higher end use of products or more value add to the stuff that they produce? What what's the benefit for sawmills? The way that commodity markets work now for our sawmill partners is all of the wood that is produced is lumped into a species category called SPF, spruce, pine, and fir. And regardless of the individual strength characteristics of each species, they're lumped into this commodity group that gives it a design value of the lower five percentile of the performance of that complete species pool. So you're not extracting that high strength black spruce from this product, it's just being labeled a number two and better and being shipped to the US at the commodity price. So therefore, that's the first thing is that we're adding the most value possible that you can add to a softwood lumber component by mechanically evaluating its strength rating and putting that into a mass timber product at where it needs to be to increase the strength performance of that overall member. So that's the first thing value add 10 to 15 times more. The second is if you look at lumber pricing, the fluctuations that have existed through, through COVID and before and after, it's very difficult for sawmills to do any type of business planning. And we're negotiating with our sawmill partners to level that out so that they are being paid, you know, a, 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 a great price to, to give us you know, some of their higher quality product and to, to level out these camels backs to 
um, give them more consistent numbers for business planning purposes. So stabilizing the future of their business. You talked a little earlier about two sawmills that you're partnering with. Is that going to provide you enough wood for the demand of this plant? Or do you think you'll need to use other suppliers as well? And if so, have you identified additional partners? We're very confident that we'll be able to utilize all of the material we need, even in the fifth year of our production from our sawmill partners. Uh, they have recently gone through major modernizations. Ledwidge is, is well over 100 million board feet per year. You know, Elmsdale Lumber is, is now between 40 and 45 million board feet per year. And the total demand on the high end of, of what we would use per year is, uh, is 40 million board feet per year. You talked earlier about the design guidelines needing to be changed, which is, which is interesting. You talked about some of the national guidelines around uh, the use of this, this type of wood. Are there any other regulatory issues that need to be addressed in order to get this thing uh, uh, moving? Well, I think that the Canadian Wood Council and the woodworks groups have done an incredible job at doing real-life performance-based testing and educating different groups within federal and provincial governments as, you know, how safe this material is and, and how competitive it is. So that's uh, that's been going on since 1998. So we're really impressed with that. And that's what's causing our national building codes to go through these incredible jumps. So I would say, you know, no, not really. Um, but really what I think would be beneficial for various governments to, to do is put in an alternate compliance path that developers should follow uh, in order to have an alternate solution approved that would create more transparency in that process and would green the infrastructure in many different ways. From the Halifax Regional Municipality and their center plan uh, approach to do form-based coding, uh, of, of various developments within HRM, it was it was a missed opportunity because it really only factored in eight inch floor plate thickness of a concrete solution. So you couldn't necessarily introduce newer low carbon infrastructure like a mass timber solution that would have maybe a couple inches more per floor when escalated over a 10 story building would mean that you wouldn't be able to build one more story and increase your, your densification. So a developer is never going to select that. So I, I think one of the other things to look at is what are some bonus densities that can be offered to people that are building with lower carbon construction materials, either concrete, steel, or wood? Um, just a couple of final questions, Patrick. What are the main barriers among planners and developers with regard to the use of mass timber that need to be overcome to grow this market in the land of Canada? I think you referenced a bit of that earlier, but can you, what are the things that you're finding with that, uh, with that group that you need to work on? Really, it's the inventory of mass timber buildings in our market. There, there isn't that much for our developers to go and look and touch and feel in their space and ask questions. It's a really small community. And as soon as you see one in this market, it's going to spawn 10 more. Uh, it's just that is, that's always kind of the critical path and new materials in, in these types of competitive markets. I've taken many developers across Canada to go look and touch and feel 
uh, mass timber buildings in different jurisdictions and it still doesn't have the same effect. So that's really probably the, the, the main hurdle. And then the other one would just be competitive procurement, which I touched on earlier, is that we have to, we have to bust that myth that by onboarding partners earlier in the process that, you know, you're going to get taken advantage of that. That's really not the case. And that is how prefabricated and modular solutions are employed. There's no other way to do it. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to put them out to tender. Right. Final question. Do you have any plans beyond the proposed manufacturing facility in Nova Scotia? Well, I, I, <laughs> that's kind of a, a, a funny question. Um, I would say overall that the master plan is to just create a great space for people to work and feel empowered in the work that, that they're doing and, and pay people fair and, and just, just really create a renewed culture in the way that I think businesses should be run and operated. That's what I'm most excited about. And it's just mass timber that kind of creates this channel of entrepreneurial opportunity to do that. But, but overall answering the, the question directly, yes, we, we plan to see rapid expansion and our business plan and engineering has been designed to do that where we can move to any major sawmill and set up plant. And, uh, you know, we have some areas identified in Ontario and the Northeast USA after we're successful on this first one. Yeah. Well, what about, what about New Brunswick? <laughs> hey, it's, it's certainly a possibility. <laughs> Patrick, we would like to thank you for coming on our podcast and telling us about the mass timber opportunity in Atlantic Canada. It's been very insightful and interesting. Uh, we wish you every success and we'll follow your developments with great interest. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for the for the opportunity, gentlemen. Take care. You've been listening to the Insights Podcast from the Acadia Broadcasting Corporation. Follow the show and listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast platform, like Apple or Spotify. If you've enjoyed the show, why not recommend it to a friend? Don and David will be back next week with another deep dive into some key issues in Atlantic Canada.